Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, who were leaders among the believers. With them they sent the following letter, The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some of you went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friend Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Next is Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to save a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dan. If I can get my microphone right here. Um, I invite you to join me as I begin with prayer. God of great mercy, as we come together this morning, uh, we the truth is we, we wish and hope that you are real and that you will be present in our life. We may come with any different level of connection to that up to this point. We may come with... Um, without experiencing much of, much of it, but believing somehow or hoping that we might believe that you can be real and good. And others of us may become, because of, out of response to you being real and you drawing us to yourself this morning. We come with all kinds of stuff that we don't want to admit. We don't want people to know about ourselves, and we're experts at covering up and hiding things from others, even those closest to us. The truth is, as we sit here from all different journeys, we have this one thing in common, that we're more fragmented and our lives are more of a mess than we care to admit. And our relationships are messy and our relationships are fragmented, and especially our relationship with you. And what we're coming to this morning is to your story and to hear how you move towards us as fragmented and as um, uninterested often as we are in you, you move towards us with your grace and your love to bring us home as your children. And so we pray to you, Heavenly Father, meet us with that grace and teach us through it in such a way that our lives might be changed. Amen. We're going to be focusing on uh, the Ephesians text today that was read. I have a little airplane. And uh, I'm going to... See, do I have the scissors? This thing can fly. Uh, I tried it. I tested it. It can fly. It's supposed to go 30 feet. It's called the pocket plane made by Poof. You can get it at Target for a dollar. And I can throw it, and it can go over to the back. 
But you want to see it? Okay. So let's just so you believe me. Somebody's got to get it and bring it back, though. Okay. Okay. See where it goes. All right. It worked. Now I'm gonna cut it in half. I'm gonna break it. Are you gonna throw it back? Let's try it. Here we go. All right. Good. See? What a cool plane. All right. I'm gonna cut this, and then I'm gonna glue it, and then we're gonna see if the glue bonds well enough. I didn't expect that to happen. Well, I think it'll still work. Okay. Two things to glue now. The first time that I remember trying to glue something, I was probably four or five. And I didn't have this kind of glue that I have this morning. I, I got this can off my dad's workshop in the garage. And I just took this can of stuff. I remember this vivid memory, this teachable moment. This is how I learn everything, by making mistakes. I never read the instructions or do it, you know, research and figure it out. So I poured this stuff and I put two pieces of wood together and it didn't stick. So I put more on and it didn't stick. And then I, I don't know at what point I realized that the can that I was using said oil on it. And oil, people don't get very good results with things sticking when they use oil. So this is actually Gorilla Super Glue. It's, you can get that at Target too. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to fix the. That's right. Now they're paying, they're paying the big bucks for those mentions today. Um, and you can, so this is the pocket plane, and I'm gonna try to fix it. By the end of my message, I'm gonna see if, if I've gotten a bond here that will work. And that can fly again. This plane was designed to fly. Now most kids, after they get out of using oil, to try to do, make things stick together. Most kids end up, you know this, but maybe you remember from your childhood, there's basically three options for, um, for things, to put things back together, to fix them. There's glue, there's tape, and there's staples in the life of children. I mean, this is, you know, the, the child looks at something broken and just cycles through those three options and then says, in my experience, Daddy, you know, can you get the staples or can you get the tape, whatever. Those are the three options. And then you grow up and you find all kinds of other uh, bonding agents. There's, you know, there's epoxy and there's these other grown-up things like there's construction adhesive and there's, you can use nails and um, uh, what else? I think I had a few other ones written down here. Anyway, you move on to these other things. And eventually, you know what? Uh, there's something else, one of the coolest bonding agents, one of the coolest things that there is. And if this was made out of metal, I might use it. It would be the perfect analogy today, but it would take really long, is welding. Like to weld something together. What's really cool about welding is that welding um, actually takes two separate things, and when you weld them, they actually be constitute uh, like they become one. They kind of the one flows seamlessly into the other. It actually bonds the two completely together, so that they're like one item. It's called I think coalescence is the is the technical term for what welding does. I think that's pretty cool. And what we read today in Ephesians chapter 4 was, verse 3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know what I forgot to do? I forgot to throw that thing without the tip on. I was going to show you how terrible it goes. When you throw it without the tip, I totally botched the whole analogy now. But when you throw it, it goes, oh yeah, you got another one? Yeah. I'll keep talking and I'll cut it off. Thanks. Thanks, Rich. My father-in-law's in town. All right. Let's see what it does. 
Where it, it doesn't work. All right, so we'll see. So verse 3 says, make every effort to, uh, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And it sounds like what we have there is something akin to welding, some kind of bond, some kind of unity that this church that, he's right, that the Apostle Paul is writing to already has and he wants them to keep. And, um, and if you think about it, it, it connects with all of our lives because who doesn't have relationships that you wish there was some kind of spiritual bondedness, some kind of approach to relationships and to people that was kind of was, was more of a slam dunk approach of bonding than the kinds of things that we tend to do. Um, we don't naturally seem to have great bondedness or ability to to secure our relationships with this kind of spirit. There's a unity of the spirit, a divine bondedness. And we're going to look at this because we need it. And we're going to look at it in three parts. There's the challenge of your bonding. There's the source of your rebonding. Not rebounding, basketball fans. No, no basketball today. The source of your rebonding and the actions of your bonding. The challenge of your bonding, first of all. What, what, what we're reading is written by the Apostle Paul who got to go out into the most, one of the most exciting times of the Christian church where there was nothing there was no Christianity, no connection to Jesus, and he went from town to town, village to village, especially cities, and he developed these places of worship and communities around Jesus. Now, there was an, he got to see the supernatural bondedness of communities where ethnic groups, people of different ethnic groups, were um, made up a new community, and they, um, it was really an impossible kind of bonding that he got to see. Um, if you look in your worship guide, there's a, a great quote that reflects this. If I can find it here. Um, where it says, One of the notable ways in which the Spirit expressed Himself in Christian community was through creating unity. In this family, seen as one body and dwelt by one Spirit, there is no place for distinctions of wealth or station, sex or nationality. No room for pride in education or religious privilege. And the Apostle Paul got to see, I think it would really surprise us if we saw the kinds of people that ended up joining together around this common belief. But then what happened was what was very natural and what was sort of, is sort of inbuilt, inbuilt in our brokenness is he began to see, it's almost like he had a phase where the churches that he had started that had gelled and bonded were starting to pull apart and tear and there was divisiveness. And so you find all these places in his letters where he's dealing with this in different geographical locations. This is one of them. Um, but he also deals with it in the letter to, to, to Corinth, 1 Corinthians, where he's, he's talking about, you know, they're so divided, and he says Christ is not divided because they've they're got all these factions. There's another place in, in a really amazing letter, the letter to the, uh, the Philippian Christians, called Philippians. And most people skip right over this because the letter is full of love and positivity, but then there's this one part where he says in chapter 4 of Philippians, he says... I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Just a little hint that he's heard of some divisiveness and lack of unity in that church. And then today, also, we don't know the story, we don't know why, but he felt the need to address at length in this letter the issue of unity in the church in the same kind of phase. And the thing is, is that there's this, really what the Bible would talk about as a sin in all of our hearts, and it's a—it's like a, a strain 
an individualistic, self-centered strain that we bring into relationships. And it's like we're always, uh, one part of us at least, is always wanting to kind of pull away and head for the door. It, it affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with other people. With God, it's this paradox of saying, I desire, there's, there might be a God out there. I think there's a God, and I desire more connection. I'm disconnected but want to connect. But then the way that we approach is we kind of say, well, God, I want you to be sort of my, my chauffeur. I don't want you to necessarily drive and take the wheel, take the reins of my life and say, ah, now I is, is the creator of all things, the one who's watched over your life all along. Now I will show you where we're going. It's, we, wanna, we want God to fit very much in what we've defined and predetermined. God, please don't surprise me or don't become this kind of God or suggest my life needs to change in this kind of way. See how we pull towards, we're pulling away this individualistic streak, this strong independent streak. And of course, it happens with people. You know, we need you, or I know with people, I need you. We, I need you in my life. I need community. I need connections. And yet, and, and I need, I know even that we need to compromise. This relationship, if it's going to work, we're going to need to compromise. People are going to have to sort of sacrifice some of their self, right? But when it comes right down to it, who do I usually think needs to compromise? <laughs> you. You're the one. You know, that's kind of how we go about our relationships. We have this, this pull always inside of us. It's somehow always easier to, to choose control in relationships instead of choosing unity. It's really easy, and you see this in church communities a lot, it's really easy to, to, to put yourself on the path of being right over against the desire to be loving. And, um, and often, this doesn't even have to be church, even though it sounds like a church thing, but we choose to be religious over against choosing to be unselfish. <laughs> it can be very different. So that's the challenge of your bonding. That's the part of, that's, the Bible would say that your spiritual status is that you are torn apart, not only from people, but you are torn apart and separated, and there's a barrier in a sense that's created by you between you and God. But the good news is, and you've got to move on to this, is the source, there's a source for your rebonding, and that's what the, the Bible points you towards. And this isn't, like, as the Apostle Paul addresses it, this isn't rocket science, or this isn't the Apostle Paul, you know, getting into some kind of Harry Potter wizardry. I mean, it's just basic what he does to address the issue of divisiveness. He just goes into their story. He just talks about the, the community of faith that I just described as this unnatural bonding that was happening in the Christian church in those days in all these cities. He just goes back and, and reminds them of their shared story. Let me re- read a second how he does that. Because if you read uh, the passage we read in chapter 4 of Ephesians where it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, you kind of wonder what he's getting at or where that comes from. He's just addressed this whole big issue and explained how, against all odds, Gentiles and Jews, Jews and non-Jews have made up the fabric of this new community, and that was just a colossal new thing. It was an impossibility, especially for some of them were taught to detest the others, and now they find themselves loving and pouring each other's lives into each other. So this is how he describes all this. This is how he points them to their shared story. He says, Therefore remember that you formerly who are Gentiles, this is chapter 2, verse 11, sorry. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called 
uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. This is all kind of the Jewish lingo of the time. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, unbonded, as it were, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus. You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, basically, what Paul's saying is that the, at the heart of these people's story, at the heart of your story, <laughs> is becoming welded together, the most permanent kind of bonding, being welded together with people with whom you didn't belong. Now think about that. Like if if the story of you know becoming a Christian and what Christianity is all about is that God looks at the world and draws people from all places and all kinds of backgrounds and stories and says, now you are welded and bonded together in a powerful way. And so that the idea that there would even be a church like City Life that exists would mean that that's already begun to happen in some kind of powerful way. That amazing impossibility has already happened. Then Paul, the Apostle Paul is pointing to that and kind of saying, now what petty little annoyances are getting in the way of you and other people? that compares with that kind of impossibility that there's a room like this and people from all different journeys supposedly making up a one community. What are these, you know, what are these little petty divisions that are ra- being raised? He's putting it all into perspective. And yet, at the same time, notice this, that I think the more important thing that Paul is doing here, he knows that we need to be alerted to the deeper issue. There's the, if you will, there's the, the lowercase b brokenness the small brokenness, and then there's the, the, the capitalized B brokenness over here. Our brokenness with God is, is even underneath all of our fragmented relationships. So Paul is saying, when he gets down to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, and he says, But now in Christ, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's saying, The work has already been done to connect you back with God in a way you never can. When we kind of wake up to God a little bit and we begin to pursue, um, and all of us today, we're in different places with that, but you begin to pursue God, um, we our default drive of our heart is to say, oh yeah, this, is, this broken thing, I'll go fix it. Maybe there's some things I haven't been doing that I need to add on to my life, and, and that will begin to get me on the path towards the bonding with God that I need. And this passage, along with the whole sweeping story of the New Testament, is, nope, you can't do it. You don't have the super glue in your relationship with God, the gorilla glue, to connect you back. You don't have anything at your disposal that can, can bridge the fragmented gap. And as much as you've fragmented yourself away from God, God's made it His job and wants you to know that He's, he's done what's needed through Jesus to bond you. How does he do it? It's interesting because it says Christ has done it. We've been brought near. We were once far away. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in a sense, the fragmentedness of our relationship with God had to be dealt with in some way and God's way of bonding us back with him was to to take the fragmented on himself and the son 
on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been cut off. He's been cut off from the Father. Now, why would he do that? Why would God do something like that and approach us in that kind of way so that you would never have to fear being cut off? And once you know Jesus in this kind of way, the bond has set. And it's a good one. And that's our re-bonding. So the actions, the actions of your bonding. And there's going to take actions. You can, it's going to need activity on our part because look, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't assume that you know, God has rebonded you with himself and so we're good and now we just kind of kick back and don't worry about things. Oh, there's some disagreement. There's some differences of opinion. So what? We're rebonded. We're connected. No, 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 no. He says, take, make every effort. In fact, the, the verb that they're trying to get out there um, can also be said, take pains to do this. So, you know, make every, it's going to take work. It's going to take, in a lot of ways, it's going to take the same thing God did to rebond with you for you to have unity and, and good bondedness in relationships in this life is going to take you taking pains on yourself, taking fragmented aspects of relationships onto yourself in order to you know, have some kind of longer-term bondedness. We, we run into op- opportunities for this all the time, and it starts really early. One author is writing in Leadership Journal this year, and he, he said... Um, his name's Gordon McDonald. He wrote this. One of our family scrapbooks contain a, contains a note written many years ago by our daughter's best friend, Cindy. It was written when the girls were both eight, year old, eight years old and inseparable. They walked to school together every morning, enjoyed frequent sleepovers, and consulted one another on homework assignments each night. Eight years old. Then one day, a tiny incident stressed their friendship. Our daughter, becoming impatient when Cindy would not walk fast enough on the way to school, called her a slowpoke. Just picture little girls, <laughs> eight years old. It was impulsive, a bad choice of words. One can only guess what it may have meant to Cindy. At any rate, there was an instant enmity between the girls. That evening, no collaboration on homework. An upcoming sleepover, canceled. All the following morning, or in the following morning, the girls walked to school by different routes. A day later, a note the one in our scrapbook came in the mail. Addressed to our daughter, it read, You called me a slowpoke. I am angry at you. You are no longer my friend, Cindy. He says this, That separation lasted at most one more day. When the girls realized how much they missed each other, they offered mutual sorries. Now, you know, that's cute and that's childish, right? Except for the fact that you can think of relationships in your life that have almost that identical dynamic to it. And they, you know, that unbondedness, that, that, that fragmentedness just kind of keeps pulling away because you feel, if you were to write a note and simplify it down to just a few phrases, it might look exactly like that little note that that eight-year-old wrote. This is the way, um, I love how about 400 years ago, uh, John Calvin, I think a little more than 400 years ago, John Calvin, the great reformer, theologian, he wrote it this way. Innumerable offenses arise daily. Innumerable offenses arise daily, which might produce quarrels, particularly when we consider the extreme bitterness of man's natural temper. I just love the way he puts that, and, and I can relate to that. I will tell you, I can relate to that as bad as it you know it's not Dr. Phil or Oprah necessarily but it's real 
So we need some actions, don't we? I mean, we find examples surrounding us all the time of people being fragmented and not dealing with it. And the truth is when you see... Okay, so what this passage says is there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you catch the emphasis? One. But there needs to be some actions that reflect that. Otherwise, it's just phony. It's just, it's just pseudo-unity. Once, when, when I was... Um, I had a pseudo relationship. My first relationship with, a, you know, when going out with a girl in grade school, um, fifth grade, or maybe sixth, I forget. But I saw her, you know, across the playground, and I sent a friend to ask her if she would go, you know, go out with me, go steady. And the the friend asked and asked her friend, and the, the word got through, and then we were official. We were a couple. And um, and then I didn't talk to her for a few days, and then I was devastated when. I'd see her across, I don't know, maybe I waved, but I'd, and then what happened was, is her friend got sent back to me, and, um, and she said, she wants to break up with you. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't feel like that was a very technically accurate statement, because I didn't know if that was inviting conversation about it, we wanted to talk it through. I didn't know how permanent, it doesn't, I mean, she wants to, but is it final yet? I didn't know. So I got the, the guts up to call her, and, and, you know, her mom answered and gave her the phone. And I said, I was so nervous. And I said, um, you know, your friend said that you want to break up with me. And she said, I already did. <laughs> so then it was over. Now, was that a relationship? No, that was not a relationship. That was, you know, that was a pseudo unity. There was no bond. There was no connection. And, you know, you laugh, but in a lot of ways, that is exactly how in churches, now let me especially talk to people who have some experience in in church life, that is exactly the kind of pseudo unity, in a sense. Oh, yeah, we're we're together. Yeah, hi. We're together somehow. They're over there, though. I mean, that's fine. Um, I was reading Michael Green this this week. Um, In his book, um, I Believe in the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. Most Christians are not even bothered by the divided state of the church. Some Christians are convinced that only they constitute the church. Other Christians feel that it is sufficient to have spiritual unity, which means little more than amiable goodwill towards other believers. He says, In the secularized modern world, I think this is a, a great insight, watches cynically at this supposed embodiment of God's kingly rule, torn apart by different emphases and policies of mutual distrust and exclusion. This is, how he, this is what he says. It is only when men and women are clearly being reconciled with one another, despite all their differences, that skeptics will stop and take note of the reconciler. And that's exactly what this passage is getting at. It takes work. It takes actual actions that can be looked at and seen. There needs, if there's unity, it has to be shown with something. Something has to be done. Now... What does that mean for us? It means if you're going to, in some way, be a Christian, it means doing what God did to weld himself to you. It's very simple, really. It means that a lot of times we're dealing with stuff, and you're dealing with stuff right now in your life, and the answer really is to take on some of the fragmentedness yourself and keep walking together with others and um, bear the burden and take on pains 
for unity. And I know that there's a hundred things that you're, you're justified in doing in the place of that. There's a hundred reasons why, um, you know, they've wronged you just enough. Or there's, there's this reason over here or this thing over here why it all makes sense that you would now just disconnect and head for the door. Those are always there. There's always a hundred reasons. But there's only one thing that you and those who follow kind of this, this way of the new church of unity, there's only one thing. Um, that you're called to, and that is to bear burdens of fragmentation and hope of greater unity that God creates through His Spirit. And hopefully, so, ready? I think it's had enough time. So hopefully you can be bonded together and you can go somewhere. (laughs) Will you pray with me? God of grace, will you create bonds in us Um, and in our relationships with those who are not here. And uh, will you help us? Because we are very weak. The only way that we can stay connected and stay in good community is by over and over taking on burdens and apologizing and accepting others' apologies and even often forgiving before the apology has come. God, would you help us and show us through your forgiving love Show us how bonded we are to you that our hearts might start to get struck with a new cord, the cord of unity that you, the reconciler, have already been playing for us since Jesus, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.